0: In our contemporary business environment, many leaders feel besieged by a cascading number of risks, including cyber threats, rapidly advancing technologies, politics and the environment. That is why an essential component of effective leadership is having a risk management program that can ensure organizational resilience and sustainability. Catherine Allen, founder and CEO of the Santa Fe Group and an NYIT trustee, is joining me today to discuss risk management issues at companies large and small. Catherine is a pioneer in the field and has set up, chaired, or been a member of many risk committees. At the Santa Fe Group, she created a strategic consulting company specializing in briefings to C-level executives and boards of directors in financial institutions and other critical infrastructure companies in risk management, cybersecurity, emerging technologies, and third-party risk Catherine, welcome to our podcast.
1: Well, thank you, and thank you to NYIT uh, offering me this opportunity. I look forward to it.
0: Oh, it's great having you with us. You know, to get things started, tell the audience a bit about yourself and about your journey that led you to start your company, Santa Fe Group.
1: Well, I know your audience is a number of entrepreneurs as well as risk managers, and I have to just say, first of all, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart, and I love risk management. I'll come back to both of those subjects in the future. I grew up in a very small town in Missouri, and I was an entrepreneur at age nine. I had my own antique children's toys and doll furniture business and actually saved enough money that I used part of that for my college. My dad was the bank president, a small bank, and it was a town that had one doctor, one lawyer, one banker. And I saw him use the bank as a platform to bring in soybeans to the state for crop rotation, to bring in the first public nursing home. So I saw him combine business and public policy, and he would go to Washington to testify on behalf of community banks. That was a framework for my career. So I started early in retailing because that was the only way that women could be in business at that point. I graduated from the University of Missouri Mm -hmm. and I was a retail store buyer and created new boutiques within the retail stores. I then started working on my master's degree and then my doctorate and while doing that I taught at the undergraduate level and then the graduate level at Mount Vernon College and Marymount College then American University, and I did my dissertation on the divestiture of AT&T and the impact that was going to have, that got me interested in emerging technologies. Mm. Even though I wasn't a technologist and my doctorate is in international business, it got me interested in that adoption part. So from there, I went to Dun & Bradstreet, and I was head of strategic planning for a new division, an entrepreneurial division called the Talking Yellow Pages. From there, I went to Citicorp, and I was, again, head of strategic planning and marketing for a new division, the development division, and we did the enhanced telephone. All of this before the internet, and just as the internet was emerging, the enhanced telephone had a smart card, and that got me interested in security, how you could use a smart card as part of secure access. So that led to me becoming the CEO of BITS banking industry technology secretariat, which was the hundred largest financial institutions in the US and their CEOs. And before nine eleven we focused on the upside of e-commerce and, and payment systems, but after nine eleven, really started to focus on information security, cybersecurity, anti money laundering, more of the you know, concerns about technology. And that led me to start my company, the Santa Fe Group, Shared Assessments, which became sort of the go to place for third party risk management and cybersecurity. And I ran it like a trade association. So we have about 400 corporate members. I sold it a year and a half ago to One Trust in Atlanta, but I'm still the chair of the board of that. And because I also felt like board. Needed to better understand risk. I created a nonprofit, the Board Risk Committee, which today does peer exchanges and education on emerging technologies like AI and quantum computing and cybersecurity. In fact, we just had an event last week for corporate board directors and chief risk officers. So I've kind of kept my toe in technology, emerging technologies, all the way through. But I also have looked at governance principles and how to bring people along to adopt and understand both the opportunities and the risks of those technologies. Fast forward, today I have the board risk committee. I sit on corporate, public, and nonprofit, and private boards, and on the side, I write books.
0: Wow. What seems to be this, the common thread throughout what you just described was how your thinking and your your business focus evolved as technology evolved and we'll use the term risk as risks evolved and that you brought that in to make your offering as an organization as the Santa Fe group more encompassing and and getting people to really begin to look at where risk comes from and where are the opportunities and i noted that with the Santa Fe group it provides consulting services and, and you brought them all together here now the emerging technologies that program execution cybersecurity and risk management from a very high level, how are these areas impacting businesses today?
1: Well, thank you for that observation because it's true. One of my I think superpowers is I've been able to see things before others could see them, whether it was an opportunity or a risk, and then be able to logically bring people along with me to understand the impact of that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm doing. And you know, it's it part of it's continuous learning, and part of it is reinventing yourself so that you're current with. What the market needs. But today, and we'll come back to this, I'm sure, I think AI is the next most transformative technology that we've faced since the internet, and it's happening much faster. So, in the next two years, I believe AI is going to impact every aspect of the business, every process function, every third party that provides services. It's going to disrupt the workforce, it's going to offer great productivity enhancement, mm-hmm. it's going to create more time to do more creative things. It's got a lot of growing pace, and I see the two major risks are the workforce disruption and also the disinformation, because the chat GBT or any generative AI is only as good as the information that's put in, and you're not going to be able to rely on it until we find some way of regul- not even regulating, but being able to be transparent about what went into the data and how you can use it. So AI is uh, critically important to businesses, every business from a strategic point of view and a risk point of view. Cybersecurity warfare is gonna continue and we'll see more and more use of cyber from nation states as well as bad actors. So every business needs to pay attention to that. Quantum computing is an example by the end of next year when NIST issues their recommendations or standards around this, I think you're going to start to see some breaks in some of the algorithms by the use of quantum computing. And then risk management has just become one of the, to me, one of the four pillars of what corporate boards or any board of any organization needs to understand and look at because the risks are kept. they're coming at us faster. They're as diverse as reputational risk or geopolitical risk or compliance risk or talent management risk. And it's really a challenge because of the velocity of change.
0: I think that's spot on. And while we hear a lot about risk management, I think, you know, major corporations indeed are, are focused on it. Uh, But still, there are a lot of small and mid-sized company leaders that tend not to have a formal approach, which exposes them to uncertainty and turbulence. I think they underestimate how macroeconomic conditions and even cyber threats impact them and their customers. Can you clearly define what we mean by risk management, some typical process steps that are utilized to identify, assess, and mitigate? And what are the critical aspects leaders, even in mid-sized and small businesses, What should they be focused on?
1: An excellent question and observation. Yes, oftentimes the small to medium-sized businesses are actually the targets of hackers because it's the least resistance. They generally don't have the resources to be as secure as sometimes the larger companies that they work with. And that's what we call third parties. Where you've outsourced something from a larger company, your point of vulnerability may be that small business just because they don't have either the resources or the knowledge. Mm. But a typical way to approach risk is, first of all, to know what risks there are, to have you know, someone work with you to say they're known, and then there's unknown risk or less probable risk, but just to list them out. The second is to create a, a discussion with your board or senior management of your risk appetite. Then you create a risk matrix, and on this should list every single risk that you have identified. The probability of it happening, but if it does happen, you know, it could be catastrophic. So that, like COVID, is a good example of something that became catastrophic for us. And then who owns it? Who within the organization from a management, senior management perspective, and even a board committee who owns it? I, of course, am a big fan of risk committees. That's our nonprofit, the board risk committee, is because I believe there's so many risks they're happening so fast that you really need the expertise on a committee to help a board really manage those risks. And then you look at that matrix annually and see if anything's changed. You look at, do you have people on your board and in your senior management team that are responsible for looking at these kind of risks, or at least have the knowledge and capability? And then can you vote a whole board meeting or a whole management meeting really just to talk about the trends and the risks that are out there and to do that on a quarterly basis. So those are just some examples of what small to medium-sized companies could actually do.
0: I was in the printing and packaging business, and my partners and I, we were doing revenue, and so we're approaching $50 million. And our great resource was always trade associations and trade groups where we could go in yeah. and have those mm-hmm. conversations. And so for those small business people out there, think about in terms of trade associations. And also, by the way, have those conversations, whether it's with your Accountants, your bankers, you know your auditors are always a, a really good source of getting some information of what businesses in your marketplace what are they facing? And I think you know you mentioned COVID. I think from a, on a pre-COVID basis, as an example, a lot of us didn't really focus totally on what supply chain disruption might be like. And I think now we're in a world where that becomes while well, we're getting settled now, right? We always say well, we're in a post-COVID economy. I guess it's for a lot of companies, don't lose sight of the risk that is still exists out there.
1: Absolutely. And, and that's an excellent point on trade associations. Even also, like NYIT offers some help from the professors I know in the computer science and the risk management programs that will help entrepreneurs. Having peer exchanges, learning from academics, having good mentors, reading, going to conferences, all of those are ways... First of all, there's no one expert on this and the risks are changing so much. Mm. You have to be curious and you have to be a continuous learner and keep doing that.
0: I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to interview Annie Duke. She's an author, is also a world champion poker player. And she wrote a couple of books, one called Thinking and Bets and the other one, How to Decide. And she talked about how difficult some people find thinking in probabilities. And you said that quite clearly when you make your list of possible risks, then you have to add probabilities of them coming to fruition. What is the probability of this happening to me? And then also examining your inherent biases. I've always considered myself an optimist, but unfortunately I have an optimist bias on a lot of things that I try to make decisions on. So I think in terms of thinking in probabilities, and, and I think that's probably where experts could probably be of a lot of help.
1: Right. And having those mentors, having, you know, sounding boards for you. And you bring up a good point. I too am an optimist and I'm an extrovert and I'm more strategic. I always hire my number two or surround myself with people who think differently than I do. So almost always my number two will be an introvert, someone who's more tactical or, you know, more hands-on and provides a different perspective. And that I find is really important because if you surround yourself with people who think just like you do. You're going to have mistakes and you're going to ha- you're going miss things. And it's really important to acknowledge that personal bias.
0: Yeah. And I think and whether you're a small business owner or you're the leader of a Fortune 500 company, it doesn't really matter. It's also evaluate your decisions. And a lot mm-hmm. of people will evaluate their bad decisions, but also evaluate your good decisions or Was that a good decision you made or were you just lucky? And so start to look at things where, you know, you don't want to get yourself wrapped up in that sense of, I guess, invincibility, right? Where you think, oh, every decision I make is great or I've made some really wonderful ones when the reality was you might have just been lucky. So I think that also you have to look at yourself as, as possible fomenting the risk within your organization.
1: You are so right, John, and and I know you've you know I've got a background in business. Is don't you know we've learned the most from our failures, mm. and you have to admit the failure, and then you have to learn from it. And I just think that's the way we you know being open to learning and being open to, I mean it can be criticism, but it also can just other perspectives.
0: Exactly, exactly, and I think that that sort of brings me into the next question because as I'm speaking to you, I'm curious, uh, uh, your personal journey has shaped. And for all of us, it shapes our leadership style. What are some Mm -hmm. of the critical skills that you think that a good leader requires?
1: So I'm going to give, I'll I'll talk about mine or how mine evolved. But also I've got some results from a survey that we did at Women Corporate Directors, which I think is really insightful. Mm -hmm. So I would say for myself, you know, I talk sometimes about superpowers, uh, but mine is both this ability to see things before other kids, to be very intuitive and to see how, something is going to play out, but then to be able to take business people along with a logical argument. So I've honed that and also learned to be data-driven to be able to bring people along uh, on with the stages. So that's one thing. I also have always surrounded myself with the smartest people I could find, way smarter than me, and also that are diverse and have differ- diverse perspectives. So I, I think that is really important. I'm not a hands-on manager. I'm I'm a believer in you hire people, you understand their skill sets, and then you manage to those skill sets. You let you empower them, let them roll, and then I would say the last and I think really important is I think holistically about things. I think about risks holistically. I think about opportunities the same way. I don't look at just one thing and go kill it. I look at how things will interact with each other. So I pay attention to, for instance, all the stakeholders that you might have, employees, customers, vendors, regulators, funders, investors. And I treat them with respect and with kindness and with the fact I'm going to learn. So I listen well um, and I'm open to hearing what others have to say. Saying that, when we did this research with WCD. We did it pre COVID and then during kind of towards the end of COVID and it was dramatically changed. We were asking CEOs and board directors what kind of skill sets they wanted. Pre COVID, it was things like operational experience, you know, financial know how, having been a C suite executive, knowing the market. During and after COVID, it was all soft skills. It was having empathy, having being able to pivot quickly being able to empower teams, having a vision and bringing people along with it, and leading by example. And I think, you know, COVID was a pivotal point in our leadership style and in how people think about work and how they think about work from home. And it requires more soft skills, which are harder to teach people.
0: You know, absolutely. And I, and I think uh, it's interesting you mentioned taking a holistic approach. Most recently, I had a conversation with a gentleman that runs a, a, a very large corporation, and uh, we talked about that. And also, what he started out with is really an expression of how his soft skills became so important. He always wanted to have empathy and understanding. And because it's a multinational company, He often talked about understanding regional cultures, and that became so critical for him as he had to navigate through uh, leading that organization both during COVID and now in a post-COVID phase, and even to the extent where he's now got to convince people to come back to the office. And how do you do that in a way that makes them realize it's actually not only for the company's benefit, but it's for their benefit? I also think that what we talked about is an awareness that people have of the risks inherent in even starting or running a business today. And Mm -hmm. it's like keeping your head on a swivel, just constantly looking for where there are opportunities and risks throughout the marketplace.
1: Yep, absolutely. I'm going to come back to one more skill set or attribute that I think is important. and I'm going to ask you the same question Mm -hmm. about what you're hearing about this. I think trust, integrity and trust are going to be the key words going forward. And that is because of the disinformation that's going to come from AI, the deep fakes. I worry about this upcoming election. But even already with the Israeli-Gaza war, there's so much disinformation and false pictures and things like that coming out. So people don't know who to trust. And they don't trust in the traditional institutions because that's been eroded. So how you, as a business, create that trust with your customers and your stakeholders and you maintain that trust. You've got to do the right job. If you, you know, do something wrong, you've got to apologize and make good on it. It's an elusive skill or attribute, but I think it's important. Are you seeing that also, John?
0: Absolutely. And one of the things that was so critical to us was being honest, being truthful, owning a problem, I can't tell you what that means to a customer when you're on the phone and say, I know I've been telling you for the last three weeks we're going to make a delivery. We're going to be late. And here's the reasons why. And here's how we're going to fix it. And here's how it won't happen again. And empower, not just from my standpoint as an executive in the company, but empower the frontline people to have those honest conversations. That's where you build trust. Trust is through honesty and follow through on what you say and what you do. And the yeah. importance of that, that builds relationship. In our industry, we often said in the printing business, it's a very intimate relationship because a lot of your customers are sharing forecasts and what it is they'll be doing next season. And they trust in you that you keep that secret and that you're going to work as best as you can to fulfill their requirements based on their expectations. As it relates to the more global problem of disinformation out there, You know, it's hard for a business leader to think that they could actually help with that. I think for most people, they realize it's somewhat out of their control, except when it comes, especially in terms of social media today, I try to get anyone I talk to or I mentor to understand the importance of critical thinking and understand when you hear something and you say, it doesn't sound right. It probably isn't. <laughs> and you need to take exactly. a look a look somewhere else. And then as any good news organization, they will go out and they'll verify that through a variety of sources. Well, the same thing happens with news or what we see or hear. So we just yes. have to start to learn to think critically about things.
1: I totally agree with you. And, you know, with deep fakes, it can, and it's already happening, you know, where you've seen President Biden but saying something that he didn't say and he wasn't Mm -hmm. even in that place. And that's happening now to companies. We're just beginning to see the disinformation, which is really going to be terrific. So I I just want to come back to NYT for a few minutes because I think it's important. First of all, I've been on the board of trustees almost since Hank Foley became the president. And Mm -hmm. part of that was because I knew him at the University of Missouri. I was on the board of visitors and he was our vice chancellor for research and then our interim chancellor. And he was there at a time when we had some issues. And Dr. Foley, it was his integrity and his honesty and his leadership that brought that whole, you know, the whole school back together, brought the the students, the, both the black and the white students to work together. He listened, I mean, he used all of those soft skills that really brought us back to a great place. But when he came to NYIT, He asked me if I would be interested in being on the board. I was honored to do so. I wouldn't have done it had I not known, you know, the character of the person and what he was capable of doing. And I think going back to our point on trust, it's so critical on relationships that you put together. And I think Dr. Foley is a good example of the kind of leaders that we need. I just wanted to mention that.
0: I think you're spot on with that. And I think Dr. Foley's done a, a fantastic job of that. What advice do you have for aspiring entrepreneurs?
1: Well, and a part of this is going to come again from my failures or my learning. Number one, and I did do this the right way, find the right mentors and sponsors. And they're two different things. A mentor is somebody That helps you with a specific problem or that can, you know, maybe they help you with a legal issue or they might help you about a personnel issue. A sponsor is somebody who really takes you along with them. Mm -hmm. It might be a venture capitalist or a private equity person. In a corporation, it might be your boss, but it might be somebody else in the organization that sees your talent and brings you along with them. And so most of my mentors and sponsors were men, but I found people who were truly interested in helping me grow and learn. So that's the first thing. The second that I was a total failure at, I did not understand funding. I didn't understand series A, B, you know, private equity. And had I known that, I think I could have built my business in a different way than I did. I'm happy with the way it happened and what I sold it for, but I just didn't know that. I didn't have any of that entrepreneurial funding, venture capital, private equity. And as a entrepreneur, before you ever go to get funding from anybody except for a bank that's a loan, you better understand that. You better understand the pros and cons of private equity and venture capital and how you get funding and what it means and loss of control and things like that. A third is be able to pivot, watching the trends. And, you know, so I've pivoted in the Santa Fe group alone, which was from at first I was a consultant on emerging technologies and then I was managing bits and really the financial sector and then I moved to third party risk management as I saw there was a gap there and now I've started this board risk committee. So being aware and listening to your stakeholders and your customers and what you need. And then lastly, I would say understand that your business model, don't be so wedded to your business model, because you may have to change it. Catherine,
0: so last question, what one word
1: describes who you are? Well, I have to use two. <laughs> uh, <what laughs> I say, I mean, sorry about that. I'm an empathetic mm-hmm. visionary. Ah, okay. I'm a visionary, as I've said, I see things before others oftentimes, but to me, the adjective empathetic means that I also take into consideration human nature.
0: Very good. Very good. And innovator, obviously, you're always seeing the impact of technology. And then to some extent, I guess you could apply that to how you've evolved the business, right? Where you, right. You, you've got yep. a chance to see and then you evolve accordingly. That's wonderful. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And thanks. I'm sure everyone's going to thank you for the insights that you provided.
1: Well, thank you. I've enjoyed the discussion and I just think this is wonderful what you're doing for NYIT and for entrepreneurs. And so I'm happy to help in any time in the future. But thank you so much. I've enjoyed our conversation.
0: Thanks, Catherine. During our interview, Catherine pointed to critical risk concerns related to cybersecurity, quantum computing, geopolitics, and the velocity of technological change. She also highlighted AI, artificial intelligence, as offering significant risks and opportunities. AI's potential for productivity improvements throughout an organization and supporting innovation is widely recognized. However, so is AI's potential for workforce disruption and its use as a disinformation generator. This led to a discussion of managing in an age of disinformation and fake imagery. It is therefore important for leaders to build trust with all stakeholders to create a strong position for countering disinformation. Catherine called cybersecurity a significant risk exposure confronting small and medium-sized businesses. She noted that such companies are often the targets of hackers because they generally don't have the resources to be as secure as many of the larger companies they do business with. This creates a third-party risk vulnerability for companies outsourcing to those small businesses. Catherine strongly advocates for creating a risk committee, that runs through the process of identifying, analyzing, and creating risk mitigation plans, as well as assigning risk responsibilities. She recommends devoting management or board meetings to risk management at least quarterly. Her advice for aspiring entrepreneurs is to find the right mentors and sponsors. Mentors can help with specific issues or problems. They're your audience for discussing opportunities or difficulties and offering advice. Sponsors are those who bring you along recognize your potential, and are focused on your success. Next, as an entrepreneur, before obtaining funding, understand the pros and cons of using a source, such as private equity or venture capital, especially the potential for loss of control and other risks. Another important issue is being prepared to pivot if necessary and not being anchored to your business model because you may have to change it. Catherine used visionary as the one word who describes who she is. And I would say Visionary is an apt description for someone who has worked at the leading edge of technology and risk management for decades. We thank Catherine for sharing her knowledge and valuable insights. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecki and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with the School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The Interim Dean of the School of Management and Executive Producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohen. Our Marketing and Social Media Strategist is Petra Shantaraga. And our Audio Editor and Mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Professor Ellie Schwartz and Victoria Greco
1: for all their support. Until next time.